Welcome to Muffliato, a Harry Potter podcast where we fill your ears to prevent you from hearing nearby conversations. I'm Josh. And I'm Blake. And today we play hot potato with a dragon egg as we continue our journey through Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone and come now to the 14th chapter, Norbit, the Norwegian Ridgeback. Now, Josh, Hagrid, uh, over uh, the series of this book, will give us a few fun snacks that he offers uh, people. And mm. uh, in this chapter, we see stoat sandwiches. But my question to you is, uh, if Hagrid were to offer you a stoat sandwich or one of his famous rock cakes, what would you choose and what would you not eat? Oh, man. I think the real question is, do I have a cup of scalding hot tea in order to... Um, to to dunk my rock cake in mm, because yeah. you know the rock cake sounds definitely more physically dangerous to to you just by itself um, and you know a stoat it's kind of like a weasel it's meat though it's meat it's meat I feel like I I'm, know, I'd probably go like, stoat yeah I think if I just had the two of those things I'd, I'd go stoat sandwich but those rock cakes genuinely sound hazardous to your health yes yeah 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 you you would need to let them soak in boiling water for maybe a conversation and then pick it up and it would be still quite good point it's it's interesting because uh hermione's parents are dentists right so i feel like she would be especially just kind of mindful of the fact that they would just break your teeth now surely she goes home from hogwarts and her parents like what on earth have you been eating (laughs) Did, did they serve you any normal food or is it just constant sweets that's so true that's so true i remember when um she gets her teeth uh, redone or yes, whatever, and, yes, yeah. and uh, you know, much the, to her, her parents, parents would have made, no, noticed that. You know, yeah, yeah. they were they were like yeah. you know not approve of it or whatever yeah. than do, being done magically. Uh, but surely it's just like that's just the that would be the first thing it. they would have noticed. Right? Yes. when she went home. So true. Yeah. Well, to summarize that chapter, Blake, uh, Quirrell proves to be more resistant to Snape's pressure than any of the trio first imagined, and to encourage his spirits, they make sure to smile at him whenever they pass him in the halls. Isn't that so sweet? <laughs> As final exams near, the trio are spending more and more time in the library. Here, they observe Hagrid borrowing and browsing several dragon-related books. At his hut, they see a dragon egg and a tiny Norwegian ridgeback emerge from the shell. Soon after, Hagrid spends the next while caring for the young dragon, doting on it at every opportunity. Eventually, the dragon becomes too large and dangerous to remain in the hut, even biting Ron's arm at one point. Harry suggests that Ron's brother Charlie might be able to give Norbert a home. Charlie agrees and instructs the three of them to meet his friends at the top of the astronomy tower. En route to the tower, Harry and Hermione nearly run into Draco Malfoy and Professor McGonagall. They are filled with joy as Draco receives detention and further excited as the exchange of the dragon goes perfectly. However, their glee is short-lived as they are caught out of bed by Filch on the return from the tower and realize to their dismay that they have left the invisibility cloak behind. Uh, Now, Josh, it's interesting that Ron waits for the very last minute uh, to go get his arm fixed again after the dragon bite, uh, just because, you know, it's already looking bad. And uh, he goes, no, I, I think I can tough it out for, for the, you know, for the team to, to not kind of get us in trouble when really he should have gone. I feel like, you know, magical bites, everything's accelerated. Like you've got great healing in the wizarding world, but you've also got like more sort of venomous things mm. and more sort mm. of dangerous things that will present, I guess, like a worse bite or a worse yeah. cut. Yeah. If there's anything worse than a venomous dragon bite, assuming dragons were 
you know, yes. if, if dragons were actually real, it would be a magical venomous <laughs> dragon bite. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, you're absolutely right. As we as we think about the injuries that can take place in the wizarding world, the fact that Ron would wait, Ron knowing the wizarding world, Ron being the wizarding world native that he is, mm. um, because he waits, he's actually not able to go on the great egg exchange. He's not there. Yeah, it's a bit bizarre. It know? is weird because it's like it's his brother's friends. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you know, you never know. He could have known some of them or something like that. But there's there's the funny moments that are different than the films is when, you know, books, I feel like they're able to like drop characters out of things yeah, because they're so long yeah. and people keep reading and it's yeah. fine. But, yeah. but I feel like with the movies, you know, they're your three main characters. They really need to be the stars of the mm. movie and you yep. need them to kind of be on the adventure all the time together. And it's only one, once you, the, you know, the book actually really removes that mm. person completely, mm. like kind of, you know, in the seventh book where they, you know, Ron kind of actually leaves, yeah. that yeah. they actually take him out of some parts of that movie. Whereas, I, think, I think because it's so crucial to the plot of the movie that Ron's not yes. there. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here, here it's kind of accidental. And as yeah. a result uh, of Ron not being on this trip, Ron doesn't go to the Forbidden Forest. Right? No, in, in the movie it's like goes, it's like just quite odd, and yeah. it's Neville, it's right? Neville. Yeah. It's Neville, and yeah. you just that's that's a big difference. Um, and they've cut that sort of forest part down, mm. which we'll, we'll we'll see um in in that chapter. But they cut that down compared to the movie, and there's actually a couple of different parts mm. to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, and and this chapter is is chapter. I think we want to say this at the beginning. We don't want to come back to it over and over again because it is still a really cool chapter. But this chapter is shorter than normal. Yes, yeah, probably one of the shortest chapters in the entire series, all yep. seven books. Um, and as a result, it is a, definitely a, a preparatory um, chapter. It's a, it's a chapter that sets the stage for what's going to come later. And so you know, while this episode might be slightly shorter, and while uh, there, there might be slightly less information that we can really dig into mm. and go go deep with. Um, there is some stuff here that is going to be key to what's happening later. Yeah, the, the chapter is is not useless in the sense that it, mm. it sets them up to get a detention, to have to go into the forest, yeah. uh, which I think accelerates the kind of um, the the scariness of it and the interaction with the centaurs that kind of yeah. put them on to... Um, the fact that it might not just be the philosopher's stone might not just be for the person who's stealing it, but for Lord Voldemort to return, it, it creates a sense of urgency. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So then that's where it sort of excels. Mm. So so they're in detention. They have to go to the forest. So it's for that, but it's also it's also you know to to give this I, I guess idea another idea of of Hagrid loving dangerous creatures, right. yeah. um, him and his dragon egg. And it's a, the sort of another kind of aha epiphany moment or whatever that Harry has um, later on when he realizes that, you know, this person who gave Hagrid the egg mm. um, is actually, you know, did that so he could learn, being, you know, Quirrell, mm. Mm. learn how to get past Fluffy. And, and that comes yeah. later. But I think all of these things, even though the chapter does seem like it's a you know, maybe not as important. It's yeah, it sets the stage for the the mm. chapters to come. Yeah, yeah. It, it, if if it, if this chapter at all seems disjointed with the introduction of of Norbert, which which is admittedly a bit of a um uh, a bit of a new development, but again, it, it ties things together so much more than if this chapter was missing, right? If this chapter yep. was missing, we'd come into the Forbidden Forest and be like, why do they have detention? Yes. Why are they one hundred and fifty points down? And so. Norbert is simply the device that A, gives us more information about Her- mm. Her- Hagrid's character, but also B, 
gives the opportunity for punishment, for detention, and for that's the right. Of what will come. The negative points that in the you know the mm. last moment it makes that that oh, victory yeah. that much yeah, sweeter, which yeah. really is because how many how many points do they get in that last time? Because it really doesn't change. Like if they never got this detention, Gryffindor probably just could have oh, yeah, won definitely, anyway. Definitely. But they remove the points yeah. so that when Dumbledore so kindly and lovingly gives them back, they they win. Well, yeah. with uh, with Neville's uh, sort of you know bravery points that uh, Dumbledore throws in there. Yeah, and and so the the key theme of this chapter is is loyalty and law yeah. breaking. Mm. Um, as as we see in this chapter, there isn't a whole lot of plot action that happens in this chapter mm. for the overall plot of the book. It's it's quite a, a, a step back. It seems like it's a step to the side. Um, but what does happen in this chapter is that we get a real sense of the development of Hagrid's relationship with Ron, Harry, and Hermione. And we see their loyalty to him. Yeah. We see their loyalty even though it's going to cost them. They don't particularly like dragons. Ron's kind of fascinated by them, but... Mm. Harry and Hermione definitely don't like dragons, but they're willing to break the law for Hagrid yeah. because it's Hagrid and because they love him. Yeah, that's a, it's really cool because that you know Hagrid shows a lot of loyalty to others uh, like Dumbledore yeah. and even you know Harry. Uh, but uh, you know, there's this is one of those times where you know the trio essentially show their loyalty to, mm. to Hagrid and that they're almost wanting him not to get in trouble. You yeah, know? so they're exactly. wanting to kind of cover this up and be like, no, you can't keep this dragon. Like it's going to grow and grow and grow. We need to find a way to get rid of it, and then they come up with the answer of, of you know, sending Dragon with Charlie and over, over mm. to him, which which makes a lot of sense. And, you know, Hagrid can trust that idea because he knows Charlie. And, yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's probably why he kind of allows mm. uh, Norbert. He knows Norbert is going to be well yeah, or, yeah. or uh Or later, as we find out, Norberta. <laughs> Norberta, because uh, it's actually a Harry female dragon. Harry is not very good at sexing dragons. <laughs> no, not at oh, all. Oh, goodness. As we move into to character development, I think uh, one of the big ones here is Malfoy. Mm. Um, Draco, you know, he's a he's a good Slytherin. You know, he's out for himself, right. and um, he he loves seeing uh, people he dislikes get in trouble, uh, and especially Harry. And so when he finds out uh, uh, that this you know is happening, that Hagrid has this dragon egg, and uh, you know, and then later on in the hospital when he learns of this kind of meeting that they're trying to get the dragon out. Uh, but before that even, there's obviously a little bit of time that's passed and he sort of sits on that information, right? He sits on that because he's kind of using it to the, you know, he's waiting. He's sort of brooding about what he should do with it. And he probably likes to see uh, those people he dislikes uh, squirm a little about that kind of, you know, being when are we going to get in trouble from this? Yeah, that's right. It's it's um, it's not as though Draco is is purely concerned for the rules of the wizarding world being no, upheld. No, no way. No, um, he's he's not just a a law lover. He's not just someone who <laughs> is he, he he's not Percy. Is, is kind of what I'm yes. saying, right? Yeah, Percy would just be a stick in the mud yep. every single time someone is breaking the slightest room without any yeah. explanation, without any understanding of the situation. Percy just tattles. Brother. Yeah, friend doesn't matter. Enemy doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. He's just gonna yeah. be like, these are the rules. We all stick to yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Your explanation, I don't care. <laughs> um, and and so you know that is that is something that is is very far removed from from Draco's situation. Draco, again, ever the Slytherin is is using these things in an ambitious way. He's mm. saying, I have information. How can that information benefit me? 
Yeah. Um, he doesn't really care that uh, people are breaking the rules. He's a rule breaker himself. He yeah. is concerned with how can this information better my situation? How can I yeah. use it to punish someone I don't like, you know, Harry, someone I think shouldn't be at Hogwarts, let's say Hermione, mm. the level born, um, someone whose family is um, at someone of a battle with my family, Ron, and uh, someone who is, again, a less than person in in Draco's mind, Hagrid, the half-giant, right? He, yeah. he has it out for all these people, really. Yeah, no, definitely. I think if we look at what uh, Malfoy would be doing in the future, uh, it almost, to when I think about it, I feel like he would make such a good blackmailer. Yes, um, <laughs> Like sort of a, a keeper of secrets, or not really mm. a keeper, but a gatherer of secrets. Yeah. And then, you know, to his own gain distributing those secrets or all kind of pulling on the people behind those secrets to kind of get what yeah. he wants to sort of uh, trading that information, trading that yeah. information, much like how, you know, and maybe, you know, very well, his Lucius, his father might do that already. Although I feel like Lucius almost puts his money behind yeah. things and that's how he gets his way w- within the ministry. But Draco, um, not that he wouldn't have money or come into to money, but Draco would probably be, be very good at the information side of it and kind of yeah, bartering and sort of you know negotiating and blackmailing. Yeah, definitely. And beyond Draco's character development, we also see some significant developments for um, who we know Hagrid to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Hagrid continues in this chapter to grow as a family figure to Harry um, and, and to the others, but, but specifically for Harry, um, Hagrid is is unique with maybe the possible exception of the Weasleys of, of someone who never tries to use Harry, never wow. tries yeah. to um, really direct him in any way other than his own protection. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and really has just such a, um, a pure love and devotion to Harry. Yeah. That's and, a, yeah that's you know, really it's, good. it's really so true that, you know, Hagrid and the Weasleys, or, or Harry's family in a way that as close as his relationship with Dumbledore will be, Dumbledore is is someone he will always admire, someone he will always look up to, but probably never someone he would see as family. No, no, it's it's this role model yeah. almost, yeah. and that would never really come to a sort of a fatherly mm-hmm. way. He's already got that in other people, yeah. like you know, Sirius. He's not accessible and, enough, right? No, he, no. He, like, even as, as Harry thinks about things, you know, when, whenever he's in a situation, he never thinks to himself, what would Dumbledore do? And I'll do it. He thinks Dumbledore is, is too powerful for me to ever imagine having that kind of power. What would Sirius do? You know, yeah. if things fall to custard, I'll be expelled and I'll go live with Hagrid. You yeah. know, he, he, the, the other characters have this kind of earthiness to him that, that makes them... Um, able to be, you know, approached and 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 seen as on his level in a way that Dumbledore never will be. Yeah, and and Dumbledore has the fact that he is in a position of authority that right. can't right. really be challenged a lot of the times because it's like it would get Harry in trouble for the mm. things that he's doing or that are going on in the school. And he, Harry, never really tells Dumbledore all that he should. Mm. You know, if, yeah, they, if, they, yeah, if he was an open book, there would the the series would be a little bit different. It would be. If, and I think, too, that, that we often... It's such a good point, Blake. We often focus on the things, especially at the end of this book, that Dumbledore doesn't tell Harry. Mm. If Harry was actually <laughs> a little bit more upfront, and, and granted, especially in this book, we'll give him the, the benefit of the doubt. In this book, he didn't have access to Dumbledore like he does later. Yes. But, you know, in Chamber of Secrets, he never tells Dumbledore that he hears... 
the, the voices. It would, know? it would have solved so much. So many issues. Yeah, um, it really would have. But you know, going forward, once that relationship, that unique relationship has been established at the end of this book, um, it is much of Harry's fault that he never goes to Dumbledore like Dumbledore would probably welcome him too. Yeah. Yeah, so so we, we definitely see that yeah, Hagrid and, and Sirius, but yeah, Hagrid in this chapter definitely are that f- mm. more of a fatherly figure um, and the, much more, you know, there for for him. And um, I think one of the things that we mentioned was um, the uh, the animals. Oh. Uh, and so, you know, the, the dangerous animals. This is just thing. the first one. It's just the first <laughs> one. So we've got the dragon, right? Yeah. And then that's the first one. It sort of like goes, oh, wow, clearly, you know, mm. Hagrid likes dangerous animals because it's it's fluffy like fluffy and this dragon are kind of in there so a three hit big yeah. three-headed dog and that thing the thing seems particularly large yeah kind of like uh sort of yeah. you know not a regular person would be able to handle yeah. how sort yeah. of bouncy yeah. and kind of yeah. crazy that he is and so you know hagrid loves these kind of dangerous or kind of misunderstood large mm, animals yes. kind of almost a little bit misunderstood like, is, is a great way like yeah. like newt scamander you know yeah, like in yeah. the, the fantastic beast series he he understands certain animals that i mm. think hagrid would be in the same boat as the fact that they yeah. can kind of understand these misinterpreted uh, misunderstood animals um and blast uh, ended screws it's new, it's oh yeah, oh, yeah blast yeah yeah they um like the, the exams or something and yeah, they just yeah, have yeah. to like look after them and it's like the most <laughs> horriblest idea ever so uh, but, but he, i think he was the one who bred those yes yes, yes something yeah, and they yeah. don't even need to be like looked yeah. after so the exam <laughs> was like bizarre, pointless yeah. so yeah so there's that we have that we've got um uh, later on we see like you know his hippogriffs half giant brother yeah. like you know festrals festrals like all of all these, these misunderstood all creatures. of these creatures that I think in the wizarding world people probably just definitely want to stay away from mm-hmm. Hagrid loves and I think that that's yeah I don't know it just shows something about Hagrid a certain quality um, that I mean you know it can be to his destruction like yeah. it can be dangerous for him uh, but he 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 like loves these creatures and these beasts and other people just wouldn't um, yeah. and so it's a, a kind of nice parallel you know between Newt Scamander and, and Hagrid because they share the kind of the same love for the care of magical creatures mm. um, yeah. but yeah that is, that's definitely uh, one, one thing about Hagrid that we come to learn and mm. definitely know yeah. Aragog and things like that in the yeah. second book like he just loves big mm. dangerous scary to everybody else creatures yeah and and i think with that too you know he probably sees these creatures as quite vulnerable even if no one else could even understand that you know yeah. how would a dragon be vulnerable how would a yeah um giant spider be vulnerable but but hagrid sees how other people view those creatures and he thinks therefore to himself i need to protect this creature and give it some love and yeah and, and i think that also like goes into how he and we see this in this chapter how he looks at the world and how he looks at the world in quite a, a simple way. And, and as he looks at, um, especially in this chapter, the Hogwarts teaching staff, he could never imagine that someone would actually be there who wouldn't be as loyal as Dumbledore would be. Yeah. Is, is that because Hagrid is so loyal, because he looks for the vulnerable, because he cares for people who have nothing, i.e. Harry, um, he could never imagine someone being so distrustful as to say you are on Dumbledore's side and then actually betray him. And so, yeah. you know, his defense continually throughout these chapters when the trio suspect Snape is he's a Hogwarts teacher. Yeah. It's like, what does that mean? Every year a Hogwarts teacher, namely the DADA teacher, betrays everyone with the exception of Lupin, you know? It's, yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. He's a he's a Hogwarts teacher. Yeah, that there's there's not much behind that, you yeah. know, and uh, and I think uh, but but in Hagrid's mind 
that he doesn't, you know, he, he, he just doesn't he, he doesn't even question it because he knows how deep his own loyalty goes. Right? Exactly. Yeah. He just assumes everybody is on the yeah. same, uh, same level as him, as himself. Yeah. And then finally, this is something that we, we see reinforced, not introduced, but reinforced is, is that Harry follows the rules when he deems them important or, or worthwhile. Mm. Yeah, I think this is a an interesting thing. It's like when your own morals or your own sort of internal laws that you give yourself mm. uh, come, I guess, up against another set of rules and regulations that you then choose to to do your thing that you believe to be right. Um, and uh, this can be really dangerous yeah. if that person, that individual's mm. internal morals and rules are actually what some would consider, you know, evil or bad, mm. because then they're, they're, what they're doing doesn't seem to be wrong. Mm. But when it comes to Harry, he does have, I feel like, a good compass on him. So when it comes to something like this, he's looking out for Hagrid, you know, rather than maybe the rules that would say dob in a teacher if they're doing something bad. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But that's yeah. yeah, Harry, we 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 definitely we definitely learn a little bit more about him. He cares for others, he protects others, people like Hagrid who mm. he uh, is is so connected in with the magical world because Hagrid was right there kind mm. of helping him along entering yeah. this magical world. And you know, maybe it doesn't come to Harry's mind as much because Harry was a baby, but you know Hagrid was there dropping him off and kind of from uh, the the sort of the the disaster that happened at his, his own home with his parents dying. And uh, so Hagrid's there always, and this is sort of almost a way just to give back to Hagrid. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Hagrid is, is someone who is driven by loyalty and in many ways, so is Harry. Um, Harry is so loyal to um, Hagrid. He's so loyal to Ron, to Hermione, and by the end of the book, so loyal to Dumbledore as well. And, and, and I think Blake, that as, as you mentioned is, is that, Yes, Harry's motives are, are are good, but it also raises a kind of a third category into the question. You know, Harry Harry's motives are good. He's breaking the rules, but, but what about the issue of you know is what he's doing wise? Mm. Um, and and I think that you know throughout the books that will really be something that's that's challenged. Is that you know Harry's Harry's motives are almost always pure, but the end result. Is that what is good? You know, is that what was wise? And and lots of times they're not. And mm. and ra- rarely in the books, with I think probably the only exception being Sirius's death, um, ra- rarely do the books end with Harry's decision-making ending badly. You know, yeah. often, often it's kind of the middle decision that he makes yes. where like the fall happens and then he gets built back up and, yeah. you know... It's a bit of a turning point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, like like this chapter in some ways. Um, but but there are several times where, where Harry makes an unwise decision because he, he, he really has the attitude that when it comes to helping people, I know best. And, and that arrogance can really get him into trouble. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah. it, it's it's not a it's not a rude arrogance. No, but it is an attitude which says, you know, I I think I know best. Yeah, I definitely I definitely would prefer what Harry thinks he knows best over Malfoy's. Yeah, uh, yeah what he thinks they, is best. They both but... they both reject the rules. Um, so <laughs> that's a good point. If, we, if if we're comparing, certainly yes, yeah. No, uh, that's definitely. And um, I mean, we we get a bit of a a good sort of boost uh, right where maybe you know we don't get so much uh, in other things like uh, I think foreshadowing in this in this 
this chapter we get things like world building mm. and we come into to uh, to see that Hagrid's in a library and this is probably not where you would find Hagrid. I don't think no. he is a an academic. Doesn't seem like a voracious reader. By no, no, he doesn't. But when it serves his means of you know learning how to take care of dragons, we do see uh, uh, you know him go to the library and get out a few books, which is like Dragon Species of Great Britain and Ireland from Egg to Inferno, mm. uh, a Dragon Keeper's Guide and Dragon Breeding for Pleasure and Profit. And uh, <laughs> that last one's a bit interesting, but uh, yeah, we, we see the these books and it just sort of flushes out a little bit more of this world but i think the main thing is when we get told a little bit about the dragons and the dragon breeds uh so i think there are about three dragon breeds that we we see in this story just yeah we see the common welsh green the um, hebridean blacks and the norwegian ridgebacks the first two dragons of that list being of course the dragons that are native to the british isles yeah, um, and and we'll go on to see more more dragons throughout the series, particularly in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. But for this chapter, um, it, it further shows us um, as kind of a, a broader theme. It, it shows us how um, how Muggles refuse to see the magic that's all around them in this world. That Ron is is almost shocked that the question could be asked. That you know. Do dragons exist in Britain? Of course they do. Of course they do. Yeah, like they exist everywhere else in the world. Of course, Britain will have their own dragons. Do dogs bark? Yes. Do dragons exist? Yes. Yeah. It's just Uh, that people have to kind of like uh, from you know the the Ministry of Magic. You know, they've just got to do part of their job is covering up when when these dragons Mm. maybe come more into kind of the Muggle territories. Yeah. uh, So they have uh, clearly identified Mm. areas maybe where they try and keep the dragons kind of a native area or something yeah. like that so they can yeah. breed and, and it do is, all that. It is interesting, Blake, because I think... I'd, I'd like to see if, if you can think of any others. This is just off the top of my head. Um, how, how are dragons used in the series? I can think of only one job that dragons are given aside from being a prop for the Triwizarding Tournament. Yeah, and that, that job, I'm assuming you're thinking guarding yeah. the, the, the bank vaults, essentially. Guarding which the is inner of the very innermost. cruel way yeah. of, of yeah. having a dragon because there's no like flight, there's no <laughs> yeah. anything. And then apart from games and sports, right? Yeah. Like, where yeah, yeah. they bring them in. So that's probably the only thing that I can I just feel like, I feel like um, there ought to be more purposeful roles for them, but but maybe they're just too volatile, too dangerous to ever yeah. you know, successfully. Endangered even, and yeah, that's why yeah. someone like Charlie needs yeah, to kind exactly. of protect certain breeds and actually kind of breed them and stuff. But you don't, I mean, I could imagine very easily that, that Rowling would have ex- kind of, uh, I guess, expanded the universe, uh, you know, not so not just in the books, mm. but just kind of from all her other writings, that there might be more of an emphasis uh, using dragons Certainly. in other parts yeah. of the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, one one important uh, and quite a cool thing that, that I found out was that New Zealand uh, actually has uh, its own kind of native uh, dragon, and that would be the uh, Antipodean uh, opali. Mm. Uh, and uh, this dragon, uh, and this is from the, the wizardingworld.com, uh, but uh, this this dragon, the Antipodean Opali, is one of the most beautiful dragons, so go New Zealand for yeah. that one, uh, with shimmering scales and pupilless, multicolored eyes, and mm. it produces a very vivid scarlet flame. Uh, so it's native to New Zealand, but has been known to migrate to Australia, where a male was once attributed to a series of kangaroo killings in the 1970s. So clearly this dragon loves the taste of sheep uh, and kangaroos. Uh, and so there's a little New Zealand fun fact for you, at least uh, New Zealand in the, in the wizarding world. Uh, but yeah, so so dragons we definitely see um, a lot. Um, and, that's, and that's quite cool because they do... 
I guess, get mentioned throughout the series, but it comes back like we just discussed with the main uh, uses, especially in the last book, guarding these deep vaults in Gringotts. So uh, I think Hagrid, as much as he is a big guy, you know, Norbert's growing at a a very fast rate. Dragons grow at a very fast rate. And uh, I don't think he'd be able to handle a dragon that much, Mm -hmm. let alone would Dumbledore and all the teachers be fine with a dragon roaming uh, Hogwarts Castle because there would be a lot of tasty snacks in and around uh, with uh, the students all there. Yeah, and I think what's what's really cool with the dragon is that um, as as we see it it growing and, and developing, is is we see almost a, another a layer of comedy put into it. You know, we, we see the you know the mental picture of of this tiny little hut housing this yes. massive dragon. We see. Yeah. You know, at first, Ron's bite appears to be nothing more than just a little, you know, nip. Um, and, and he's kind of annoyed at the dragon. Yeah. But, you know, it's, yeah. it is used for a little bit of humor as well, which is quite quite cool. And so, Josh, moving on, what do we see in, in regards to literary devices? Yeah, so as I mentioned right at the beginning, this chapter is, is really a chapter of preparation. Um, it's a chapter which sets the stage for what's going to come later. Um, and, and we do really see the hero's fall in this chapter where that, mm. you know, that Harry experiences in this chapter and the next um, things which he has caused, which lead to his downfall, the downfall of those he loves, yeah. i.e. Gryffindor. Yeah. Um, and, and that the rest of the book will, will really focus on the undoing of that, the reversal yeah. so that yeah. they can come out on top. Um, I just want to jump, jump in there, Josh, because I, I find it fascinating that Harry, who stopped the Dark Lord... Mm is undone by losing some Gryffindor points and now everybody hates him. You know, all of a sudden it's like, Harry, man, he's the one who saved us from Lord Voldemort. Yeah. But everybody hates him because he lost some I points. I mean, he, it's he, cool. he is an 11-year-old, right? And, that's, and, yeah, that's and these true. are, you know, 12 to 18-year-olds. <laughs> and, and and I think that it, it really does show the, the perspective for much of, I don't know, the first four books at yeah, least. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, that while evil is real and lurks outside the castle... Winning the House Cup is far more a priority than anything yeah. else. It's pretty much the main thing they care about. Yeah, yeah. it certainly it is. Um, and in addition to that, there's one other literary device that is really interesting in this chapter, and that's the use of character names. Now, the name Draco means serpent or dragon in Latin. Yeah. And and as we see that just brilliantly put together, the, the chapter where dragons are introduced is really Draco's first major chapter. Um, and, and in the same way, just as we, we think of, of of a serpent being uh, an, an animal which is is one that is is sly and crafty and yeah. um, really out for themselves, even just thinking of of the image of of the serpent in the Garden of Eden, mm. um, yeah, in in the in the Bible where, where we see the serpent being the the deceiver, the serpent being the one whom Satan used in order to cause the fall of of man here draco is used to cause harry to to have this fall and have this um really dramatic undoing because of of draco's um activity and, and work in this chapter yeah i mean draco gets a few shining moments throughout the series mm. i think that you know mm. he, his character does develop and grow but this is is like you said the first time we're we see him kind of get a bit crafty, get a yeah. little bit kind of into his stride of being a bit of a tormentor, whether physical or knowledge um, that he has, and he's sort of teasing them. But yeah, his name, Draco, that's actually quite interesting that it sort of ties in with this chapter, which mm. is so 
yeah. I guess, prominent with the whole dragon theme. And it's those two, you know, this chapter mm. where both those things are the main things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you mentioned it already, Blake, there is not a, a major foreshadowing um, in, in this chapter. But just as we've closed to, to focus once again on, on this chapter's significance, the chapter here, uh, Norbert, the Norwegian Ridgeback, prepares us for the remainder of the book because of this incident. Uh, namely the dragon exchange at the top of the astronomy tower and the catching by Filch. Mm, Gryffindor will lose yeah. 150 points. 50 points for Harry. Nuts. 50 points for Hermione and 50 points for Neville, and, who was also... Yeah, and that's, and that's enough points for people to just think it's a mistake. Yes. Right? Like, I yeah. think it's the next start of the next, next day, chapter yeah, yeah. that, that um, it's like they, they go like, oh, must be a mistake yeah. walking past and stuff because it's just a huge amount. Uh, for for um, stopping the troll um, in, uh, in in the girls' bathroom when they yeah. are defending Hermione, like f- they get five points each. Harry and Ron get five points. Hermione gets five points taken away. Yeah. Damn. It's nuts. You'd think a life-saving thing like that would earn yeah. them a few more points, uh, yeah. but that is not the case. I, I think it just underscores just how serious this is. Yeah. You, you know, I think as... Uh, we, I don't think anywhere in the books we get a really clear understanding of just where everything is as far as the layout of the castle. Yep. But it certainly seems that the astronomy tower is extremely far away from where they should be. Yeah. And and, and they are very far out of bed in the at the wrong time and and, and it's just like they they need to make sure that first years are aware so there's a level of severity that probably comes with a punishment in the first year so that they'll never do it again. so that they'll never do it again and uh, (laughs) and that's i mean that's the point system right it's it's the shame that you honor shame yeah you you bring shame when you lose points and you disregard the rules and so that is reinforced uh the next day when everybody hates them but obviously mainly harry because he's the more well known uh one so in in addition to losing all those points and having that honor shame um invoked on him we we also see uh the stage set for the great reversal that will happen later yeah and then finally harry because of this event will receive a punishment where he will go to the forbidden forest and there see the hooded figure and the slain unicorn yeah these last three chapters like this is the the fourth to last chapter but the last three chapters really come tightly together mm. and uh, yeah. i think kind of keep Definitely. moving until the very last kind of moment where things settle and harry wakes up in the uh the kind of the hospital right uh, wing yep. and, and uh, wakes up there and then we kind of get a good interaction with him and dumbledore that sort of opens up a few things so no that's uh looking forward to, to those last as we kind of get towards the end of this book mm. it's been quite a quite it's, a fast ride really it has yeah, yeah. It definitely has but uh you know thank you for all those who are listeners uh, and, and enjoy that if you do please uh, give us your feedback and uh, you can do that on itunes or wherever you get your podcast from uh, leave us a review your reviews help keep magic alive to continue the adventure join us next time as we discuss the 15th chapter of harry potter and the philosopher's stone the forbidden forest